We are going to move on in our study of the larger catechism tonight. We are going to the question number 173. Number 173. And we will, the Lord helping us, finish this tonight. Begin it and finish it. In the same evening, I was so happy to see my brother Tim Farr teaching the larger catechism in the Sunday school hour where Joshua was worshiping this morning. And what a blessing it is to see this full disclosure of the great things of the Word of God that were revealed to our brethren 400 years ago. So, let's go to number 173, regarding the Lord's Supper. May any who profess the faith and desire to come to the Lord's Supper be kept from it, such as are found to be ignorant or scandalous, notwithstanding their profession of the faith and desire to come to the Lord's Supper may and ought to be kept from that sacrament by the power which Christ hath left in His church until they receive instruction and manifest their reformation. All right. Well, this really has to do with the matter of church discipline. And we're going to read the scriptures from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which specifically have to do with this very matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we have the Lord's Supper set before us not only in the Gospels, but also in the um, book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, chapter 10, chapter 5, as we'll see here. Let's begin the short chapter, 1 Corinthians 5, with verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And we'll pause there for a moment. The fornication, the word fornication here is the general word for any type of sexual immorality. And obviously in this it would be a form of incest. But it's believed that this was not this man's mother, but probably a stepmother. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Rather puffed up about it. That this which is so so awful that it wasn't even done by the heathen, the pagans. Verse 3, For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so 
done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. He's speaking of the Lord's Supper. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. What is he saying? I wrote to you in an epistle not to company, associate, mingle with fornicators. But he's not talking about those that are out in the world, that you're with in the workplace, that you're with in the, in the seat of education or commerce, whatever. But verse 11 says, But now I have written unto you, not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother, a professing Christian, be a fornicator living in any type of sexual immorality, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, no, not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without or outside of the church? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And we have good assurance that this church discipline had the desired aim that was given by the Spirit of God, that there be repentance, that there be shame rather than uh, pride regarding the matter, and that there be a turning away from the sin and a putting away of the sin. Let's turn over to... Paul's letter to Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and the last chapter, chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians. And you know that one of the problems that the Thessalonian believers had was that they had the idea that Jesus was going to come immediately. So there was no need for them to uh, hold down the job. They just need to get ready to get out of there. Because Jesus was coming 
And the Lord, because already they read in chapter, in the, in the first letter, that He was going to descend from heaven with a shout, and they're just going to go up and be with the Lord forever, and they don't need to be thinking about like the things of this world anymore. So, a bunch of them had given up their jobs. We don't have to go to work anymore because Jesus is coming. And we're just we ready to go. Whenever He gets here, we're leaving. Okay, chapter 3. And uh, we'll begin reading there in chapter 3 and verse 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle... This is the Word of God in this epistle. Note that man and have no company with him. Same word back in 1 Corinthians 5. Don't associate. Don't mingle with him. Why? That he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You should be ashamed. (laughs) Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. And what was this walking disorderly? Okay. Back in verse 12. All right. I'm sorry. Um, Now, that is in verse 6. Verse 6. Look at verse 6. Now, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an imperative. It is the command... In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly. What does it mean to walk disorderly? All right. If any man is not obeying this epistle, don't keep company with him because he's walking disorderly. Let's look down and find out what walking disorderly is means in this context. Look at verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all. (laughs) We've given up our job because Jesus is coming. Well, Paul has said, if any man's not going to work, he's not going to eat. So that's what, that's the way it is. So the very clear matter of the disorderly walking is working not at all. There in verse eleven, withdraw from such a person. The meaning is literally in the original, avoiding someone. And actually, the meaning is given in the, in the Greek text, shunning. You've heard of that. Shunning them. Something that you hear more in the uh, Mennonite and the Amish. But shunning. 
Not associating with them. Not keeping company with them. Wow. Now this is what the Scripture teaches. That for those that are living scandalously, disorderly, committing these sins that are laid out here, we are not to mingle with them, not to associate with them, not to keep company with them. Why? That they may be ashamed. Verse 14. And hey, if... Yeah, okay. You mean I can't come to the Lord's Supper? Although weak and doubting believers may and ought to partake of the Lord's Supper, unconverted people have no right to partake of it. Now, although it's not the church officer's duty to judge who is genuinely converted to Christ and who is not, yet the elders are responsible not to admit to communion those that are ignorant. Now, (laughs) the word ignorant in the Greek basically has the idea of not knowing. But in this case, it goes a little farther. Meaning that either there's the lack of the knowledge of the true gospel, or that they are believers in false doctrines and ignorant of true orthodox Christianity. If they, for instance, believe in the fatherhood of God, as He's the Father of all men, and we're all brothers, the brotherhood of all mankind, no matter what we are, then they don't really understand the gospel. And they are ignorant of the truth. So that type of person is not to come and take the Lord's Supper. And then we read in our answer to this question, not only those that are ignorant, but also scandalous. And scandalous means that they are living unrepentantly in flagrant or open sin, living in sin, and unwilling to repent of it. This man was living in sin in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Living in an immoral relationship. And, you know, there, there are other things that you would look on as scandalous. And I know that there has been, uh, in so many denominations, not only our own, but uh, a desire for church members not to be members of secret societies where they're sworn to secrecy, or gamblers, or various things like that. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to point out some of these things that are given so clearly, they're repeated in uh, verse 10 and again in verse 11. And we are not to keep company, not to eat, with any who is called a Christian, a professing Christian that is at the same time living in sexual immorality of any kind, incest, 
homosexuality, fornication, adultery, sodomy, lesbianism, any of these. We have the command of God not to eat, not to keep company with. Okay. Now, that's one thing. But then, there's these other interesting terms. Covetous. And we were considering that somewhat this morning with the rich young ruler, that he was consumed with this idea of gaining wealth and keeping wealth and not releasing any of it. And covetous to the degree of almost doing anything to get more. And so the context uh, holds out here of extortion. An extortioner. One who would be willing to defraud and to take by, by theft or some subversive way of gaining wealth. An extortioner. A drunkard. A railer. Now there's one that we don't hear too much about. A railer is someone who habitually uses the tongue to condemn everyone and everything. Oftentimes with bad language. But a railer is one that is always condemning others and can't get in your presence without... Do you know about how bad this person is? I want to tell you about this bad situation. And just so eaten up with negativity about and just condemning everybody and everything. I'm the only person that's even decent in the world, you know. Everybody else is pretty rotten. A railer. An idolater. One that worships another god. Not the true and living God but has made an idol and is worse, gives self, gives life and strength and all to that, whatever it is. Well, we have set before us here these terms, very clear. And we read in our answer to this question, such as are found to be ignorant or scandalous, notwithstanding their profession of the faith and desire to come to the Lord's Supper, may and ought to be kept from that sacrament. And to be kept from it by the power which Christ hath left His church, in His church. The power in His church. Now, it's very interesting that it was the practice of the Swiss reformers. The Swiss reformers in particular, John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli, to bar from the Lord's Supper those leading scandalous lives. Now, the Lord Jesus gave power to the church officers in giving them the keys of the kingdom, Matthew 18, and we'll look at that, to withhold privileges from members of the church and to admit or exclude them from the exercise of those privileges, such as the Lord's Supper. But you know, this is one of the marks of a true biblical church. 
the marks of a true church as the reformers set forth. First, the faithful preaching of the Word of God. And, you know, I didn't understand exactly what that meant years ago. But you know what they did? The reformers preached through whole books of Scripture all the way through. And what a wonderful way to learn the Word of God, especially if you're studying it. And it is the faithful preaching of the Word of God which is one of those characteristics that defines a true biblical church. Secondly, the faithful administration of the sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper being dispensed as the Scripture teaches. And then the third mark is church discipline. Church discipline, the keys of the kingdom, which Christ Himself has placed in the hands of the church to be used by the ruling officers of the church so that whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you shall loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 18 for just a moment. Matthew chapter 18, just a few verses here. It begins the procedure of how if there's a trespass and there's an offense, then you were to go to your brother in verse 15, tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, in other words, if you can be reconciled, thou hast gained thy brother. Matthew 18, 16, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. A heathen man, a tax collector. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now I think that's very important, especially when you go back to chapter 16. Chapter 16 of Matthew, and the Lord was speaking to Peter and about His church. And He says in verse 19 of Matthew 16, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom, of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Well, uh, Dr. Moorcraft has brought out a few of these uh, particular things regarding that from the Confession of Faith. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 30, Section 1, the Lord Jesus as King and Head of His Church hath therein appointed a government in the hand of church officers, distinct from the civil magistrate. 
To these officers, the keys of the kingdom of heaven are committed by virtue whereof they have power respectively to retain and remit sins, to shut that kingdom against the impenitent, both by the word and censures, and to open it unto penitent sinners by the ministry of the gospel, and by absolution from censures as occasion shall require, that is forgiveness. Church censures are necessary for the reclaiming and gaining of offending brethren, for deterring of others from like offenses, for purging out that leaven which might infect the whole lump, for vindicating the honor of Christ and the holy profession of the gospel, and for preventing the wrath of God which might justly fall upon the church if they should suffer His covenant and the seals thereof to be profaned by notorious and obstinate offenders. And of course, referring to the sacraments there. For the better attaining of these ends, the officers of the church are to proceed first by admonition. Then, if admonition doesn't work, suspension from the sacrament of the Lord's Supper for a season. And then there's a third measure, by excommunication from the church according to the nature of the crime and demerit of the person. And there is such a stigma today that very few congregations of God's people would dare to exercise church discipline. And sadly, we have had to excommunicate from the Lord's table some of our members in the past. And the purpose of discipline, the purpose of church discipline is multifaceted. It's not just one purpose. It is first to maintain the purity of the body. The only way to maintain purity in the church is by the obedience to the Word of God, even in the matter of discipline. And then secondly, the purpose of church discipline is, in a sense, punitive, in that in barring someone from the Lord's Supper, there's a, there's a, a matter of shame associated with it. And I'm very glad that following those periods of excommunication, of barring from the Lord's table, that in both cases in the years past, those people repented to some degree, and returned to the Lord's table in the time that followed. So there is a shame associated with it. And the third the third uh, purpose of church discipline is to help move them to repentance and restoration. Restoration is the aim. And so... Church discipline is very important. Our Westminster forefathers actually said nothing about open communion or closed communion. Now, um, I know that there are some of our brethren in various 
uh, congregations and denominations that do practice uh, close communion. And the only people that are allowed to take communion in that church are those that are in membership and those that are uh, willing to abide by the principles of a discipline and everything in association with that congregation or denomination. But there are also some that make exceptions that if you meet with the church elders and uh, get cleared, then you can take communion. But it's still uh, restricted communion, closed in a very real sense. Now, why would anyone practice open communion as we do? Well, it is a, an opportunity in more than one way. Because this table is not the table of Trinity Free Presbyterian Congregation. Neither is this table the table of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. Neither is this table the table that belongs to any of the other presbyteries of our brethren that we are a part of. But... This is the Lord's table. And so, we as all of our presbyteries that uh, I'm aware of, uh, practice open communion. And that is, those who come, we recognize the seriousness of the matter, and we endeavor to encourage everyone to take the Lord's Supper very seriously. But you know, when we come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we think of the bread. And it's very obvious that the Lord's teaching regarding the Lord's Supper is that the bread represents His body. But His body is more than his, his flesh, but it actually refers to His mystical body as well. We are all one bread. And we are testifying that we are one with all of our brethren in Christ. Those who are in Christ, those who are trusting Him alone for salvation, and those who are endeavoring to live for the Lord and are not under the discipline of any church body. We really need to, to say that. But that's what we've said before. But in especially when we have visitors who come in, that we should emphasize that, that anyone who is not under the uh, discipline of any other church body those who are endeavoring to walk with the Lord faithfully, and those who are trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. So we are testifying a unity with our brethren, whoever they are, wherever they are from, we are testifying a unity without uniformity. 
And that was a battle that our brethren fought in Great Britain for such a long time. As there was forced uniformity. We believe in unity with our brethren without uniformity. But we do thank God for the the blessing of the Lord's Supper and the holiness of it, the purity of it, and we need to endeavor to keep it so. Now, in our answer here, by the power which Christ has left in His church, there are those that ought to be kept from the sacrament until they receive instruction and manifest their reformation. So we trust that God will indeed bless us in our congregation and bless us in our keeping of the the Lord's Supper in a holy manner. And there are those that should not be allowed to come. And you know, even... In fact, the matter of children taking communion, which is uh, not uh, a practice in many denominations and congregations until children reach a a responsible age where they can uh, truly know what they're doing. And I have to say that I didn't know what I was doing from the time I was eight years old on upward taking communion, but this matter of ignorance and uh, the meaning of not knowing and not understanding what we're doing, in that case, children should be kept from the supper, not discerning the Lord's body, not really understanding what they're doing. So let's read this one last time. Number 173, May any who profess the faith and desire to come to the Lord's Supper be kept from it. Such as are found to be ignorant or scandalous, notwithstanding their profession of the faith and desire to come to the Lord's Supper, may and ought to be kept from that sacrament. By the power which Christ hath left in His church until they receive instruction and manifest their reformation. Well, we're going to leave that and trust that the Lord will grant to us as a congregation a holy keeping of His holy supper.